contains just one song with vocals and that is of course Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. It sells well over 10 million copies, goes to number one in most countries thanks to the runaway success of the film. Uh, and to this day, I have never seen the Titanic, Sue Bradford. I have seen the movie, yes. What's it like? Uh, it wasn't really my cup of tea, <laughs> I have to say. R- really? <laughs> I've not seen it, no. But, but what, a conscious decision not to see it? <laughs> yeah, pretty hard to avoid, well, a bit no. like avoiding Jaws or well, something. <laughs> yeah, but, but, the, but the thing is, unlike Jaws, I know what happens, right? I mean, it's gonna. what's, what's going to happen to the ship? See, see, me when I heard that immediately, I went to the front of the boat with Leo, and you know, oh. right up the front, that was the, the image that I yeah. got. And I was about to bust out into song, I think. God, that we were so, on mute. So is it, is, it that, is it that tight? Is the is the imagery of the film and the song that tight? Yeah, that's what I got yeah. from it immediately. Wow. I got the feels. I, it, really? I can't Absolutely. believe you watched it. Yeah. Well, so is it worth seeing? I, I, I think it is, <laughs> even so, though you know. Oh, I wouldn't go out of my way. To <laughs> but we've all got our own tastes in movies and yeah. music. <laughs> okay, so the time, and by the way, if you haven't seen Like Me, it's about a young man and a woman who are different social classes. They fall in love after meeting on board the ship. But it was not good for a rich girl to fall in love with a poor boy in 1912. And the ship does end up sinking, doesn't it? Yeah. It, it does. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the Titanic, uh, 2101. Uh, a lot of feedback regarding mispronunciation, so we're coming to that soon. But also to this, it kind of feeds into uh, what Scott's I've been thinking is about. It's a return to... The rural health story from last week, we had quite a response to access to health in regions, in particular around waiting times. And we said we'd do a follow-up for you. Nisha Bremner, journalist, couldn't get a colonoscopy, colonoscopy anywhere near her area, Ruapehu. And this is what started it all. She ended up travelling for hours and it has prompted her to weigh up how long in the future she'll be committed even to this beautiful part of the country. We thought we'd get Professor Gary Nixon, he's an Associate Dean in Rural Health at uh, Otago University, also a rural doctor at Dunstan Hospital in Central Otago. Professor Nixon, nice to have you on the panel. Uh, Kia ora Wallace, uh, great to be here. Yeah, what is access to health in rural areas at this present moment. What are the key pinch points, if you like? There's a few things that I can say absolutely for sure. 
Like I can tell you that despite having higher mortality rates, people who live in rural areas are much less likely to end up with a hospital admission uh, over a year. But there's a lot of things that are just anecdotal. Like it, it really does appear that it's getting harder and harder to enrol in and get access to general practice in rural areas. And, and, and definitely it, it looks like it's getting harder to access urgent and after-hours care as rural GPs are pulling out of that sort of work. But but one of the real problems is actually we don't have a lot of hard data on that. We've right. been pretty good at, at comparing across DHBs, but not between urban and rural areas in New Zealand. Well, I was quite surprised, Gary, uh, about the response. I mean, some of the feedback was actually very, very sad. You know, someone with... Uh, a, a son with cystic fibrosis trying to wait for so long even to get seen, having to go f- to another part of the country. What is most lacking? Is it staff getting to work, remote areas? Is it capex for, I don't know, a piece of equipment, an MRI scan, an X-ray, new beds? What is it? Oh, I, th- I think workforce is the biggie. Oh. Uh, and there's just been really you know, grumbling, chronic um, crisis in terms of the rural medical workforce, which has gone on for years and years. But now that's starting to spread to other areas as well. I mean, probably for the first time now in our area, we're starting to see real shortages of, of nurses as well. I, I think other things like equipment and stuff, probably down the, the list a little bit, but that also might be because in the end, rural communities are actually, particularly if they can afford it, just get on and buy those things for themselves. Yes, we've seen fund, quite big fundraising initiatives, eh? for example, in the likes of Southland. You've, you've seen that. I think Dunedin has had some initiatives like that. Well, Scott, you, you've, you've talked earlier about this in your journey there, and mm. you're, in, you're in Tauranga, Scott, so you want to come in on this? Yeah, well, and I guess we're one of the urban centres and yeah. the fastest growing, right? And yet, um, you know, I've had a personal case where I've had to wait months and months. In fact, I had a, uh, a colonoscopy with some biopsies done in June. I'm still waiting for... Results. I've been what? bumped Still three. Waiting. I've been bumped three times from uh, an appointment. Um, and, in fact, and, and just even just recently, I went and saw surgeons. They said to me, "You need a, a, an MRI. We're going to put you in the system." It was going to take me six to eight weeks to get that, even though I was being marked as urgent. Um, and yet, when I went to the private, and I had to fund this myself, so it was a pretty big expense. I got it the day after. Um, now, take nothing away from the people inside the system because they are doing an amazing job with what they've got. But something is not right when you've got that type of scenario. Okay, so uh, Gary, uh, Scott's still waiting for his results from June. Yeah, I, I, if we had to sort of say, and this is very much from some of these problems are across the board, I agree. But if we sort of had to sort of prioritise prioritize from a rural perspective, then, then um, like, like uh, your, your listeners and your panel members, I would probably put diagnostics really high on that list. And, and they're, they're really important because they're often the gateway to, to treatment. So if we, you're not getting equitable access to diagnostics, then you're not sort of even really getting in, in the system. So, so, so they're crucial. And actually, it's actually increasingly easy to provide those, uh, a lot of those diagnostic tests in, in rural areas. I mean, things like colonoscopy and CT scans and stuff like that, which in the past, you know, you could really only practically provide in very big cities. It's actually, uh, it's actually not hard to do that in, in smaller areas now. 
Okay, interesting. So diagnostics is uh, one solution there. Well, Sue, we also had a fair bit of feedback from the far north about this issue, which is where uh, you reside. I was living in the far, okay, uh, up, up in, yeah. um, near Kaitaia until a wee while back. Mm. Um, I was there, Bill and I were there for a few years and really noticed how tough things were in the health sector. Um, a lot of older people moving up on the east coast side of, of the region and there was that people would be waiting for three weeks to access a GP. Um, when I went to try and enrol in a medical centre on, on that coast, that's it just was hopeless. I went to Kaitaia, and um, luckily in Kaitaia there are basically quite Māori and hospital-based hawara, um, which I'm, I managed to enrol in, and I'll always be grateful for that. Um, but the lack of GP services, and that's the service I ended up in um, I, for a long time, for years, I never saw the same doctor twice, which I think is increasingly uh, common. Doctors on rotation all the time, right. wonderful, wonderful nurses up there. Um, but then the other thing was trying to get, I was waiting for years to get what they call elective surgery through Whangarei, the whole distance. People being dumped out at night at Whangarei Hospital with no way of getting back to Kaitaia or the north. Um, huge problems at Whangarei itself and then this whole huge area to the north, right up to the top, five hours or more travel. I came back by ambulance after an operation from Whangarei to Kaitaia, uh, which was awful. And like how, that's happening all the time. People are in helicopters. People are, um, right. yeah, just oh. the total inadequacy. And I remember okay. back when we fought really hard to keep that Kaitaia hospital. If we hadn't kept it, it would be even more of a disaster. Well, so this is, uh, <laughs> Gary, this is what you're hearing from uh, many people. This is in the far north, you know, uh, far, far away from uh, 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 where you are in central Otago there, but nonetheless... Yeah, and I think that's a really important point um, that that's Sue's making because it, often it is that combination, that combination of um, of rurality and socioeconomic deprivation um, and and the the health effects of, of ethnicity, which 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 when you combine those things, that's when you start to get to get really poor outcomes. Um, so if you're, I mean, if you're living even a long way away from the city, but you've got the means, then it's not that. Hard difficult to buy your way out of it, including using private services. But but it's when you when you don't have those means then that impact of reality really bites hard. Yeah, and that, and that's the trouble, right? So, so you know, I, I think I know enough about the system that I was able to push some buttons and go private and do those things. But other people don't have that access, and that's not fair, right? And when we're living in a country like this, Professor, what 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 can we do? I know that's a how long's a piece of string question, but with the reality that we're faced with at the moment, what can we do? I, I I'm probably much more interested in the long term fixes than the short ones. I haven't got a lot of a, a lot of faith that things like um, you know bringing a lot of expensive locums and that sort of things really going to make the sorts of differences that, that that we actually want. So, so if I had to sort of prioritise about what I think are the really important things, then when it comes to workforce, it's probably around rural training pathways. I mean, the skills mix that you need to work in a rural area at a distance away from specialist services actually mm. quite quite different. So if you actually recognise those scopes and train specifically for them, that's probably where you're going to make uh, the biggest returns in terms of improving your rural workforce. So nice to have you on the programme, uh, Professor Nixon. Kia ora, as always. Uh, that is uh, Gary Nixon, Associate Dean at Otago University Rural Health, also a rural doctor uh, at Dunstan Hospital Central Otago. Thank you for all your feedback. Here's, here's one for you.
Sue Bradford, I miss you from Parliament. Is there any comeback in the wings? Uh, I wasn't saying that. That was a text. (laughs) Oh, that's quite funny. (laughs) I do get those questions sometimes. (laughs) Corey Lowe's not uh, attractive (laughs) enough, Sue. Who knows, eh? Um, Anyway, uh, it is 14 to 5. The panel, RNZ National, Scott Campbell and uh, Sue Bradford with me this afternoon. And gosh, have we had a massive response to this. Oh, can I just jump in with this? As a 15-year-old girl at the time of the Titanic screening, this movie hit all those high points. I saw it five times at the cinema, and that song still gives me the feels. So to your point there, Scott, I have watched this movie 20 times. Yes, 20. I also sung My Heart Will Go On at my school assembly. (laughs) So there you go. You loved it. Who, Who doesn't love Celine Dion? We got chatting in the office today about words that most people pronounce incorrectly, and I was shocked at some of them. Flaccid, as I understand, is actually flaccid. It's prescription, not prescription. It's asterisk rather than asterisk. So get in touch. Are there any words you have mispronounced all the time that really get on your nerves? And gosh, have we had feedback on this. And I want to know how deep this well went. So I thought we'd get in Christine Newton, who is a talking book producer. Kia ora, Christine. Nice to have you here. Hello, and it's Christine Hewton with an A. Thank you. Pronounce it correctly. <laughs> do, f- do feel free to just pick me up on anything you hear, because yeah, I, w- I want yeah. to learn too. Start, what, start the way I was here to go on. <laughs> So what does this come down to? Language, laziness, informal speech? Because it's certainly a topic that people find interesting. Yes. Um, people, a lot of people don't care. They just speak. And, you know, as long as they can communicate, that's all they, they care about. But the thing is, I think people forget sometimes that that is what it's about. It's about communication. And if you make a lot of mistakes, your the glitch is going to go through the other person's brain and you might miss what they're saying. So to a certain extent, it is important. Is, yeah. there, is there one or two words that we use very, very commonly that we could do well with correcting? Only one or two. (laughs) 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 Well, an interesting one, well, not that interesting. I'll talk about spices. I mean, just look at the way they're spelled and you'll know it's turmeric, not turmeric. No, that's that's not correct. There is an R in there. It's Turmeric. And I don't know whether they get it confused with what they think is cumin, but that's cumin. <laughs> <laughs> and the first word, turmeric, goes exactly according to the rules. Cumin does not go according to the rules because there is no double consonant after the I'm blown the away. Vowel to, yeah, you okay. know, so there can you I, are. Can I just practice that? It's, it's, it's turmeric. 
Turmeric. No, turmeric. Yes. See, what, I, what I really love, Wallace, was the way that you just started to enunciate everything really clearly. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> For oh, once. you said that on purpose. You said enunciate on purpose. For once in 10 years. I, I, did, I did try to practice that. <laughs> my, my boss is going, at last. <laughs> That's what they're doing. Um, I, 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 I had a shocker. Can I, I feel ashamed for doing this. But my very first show, uh, instead of saying albeit, uh, Christine, I said albeit. 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 It's like three words together. Albeit. Sue Bradford, where do you stand on pronunciation? <laughs> where do you stand on pronunciation, Sue Bradford? Um, well, I've often been criticised through my uh, political life for my poor pronunciation and poor um, use of the language. Um, is not being, I, I don't know what, but not good enough. Um, I, I think it matters, but I also think language changes all the time. And that, in, fa- in fact, yeah. it's, it's such a myth that language is stuck. And that the way we use language in practice and the way we're increasingly crossing between te reo and um, uh, the English language in this country is fascinating. And it's just, it, we're evolving at a much faster rate than I think a lot of us realise. And I'm much more concerned these days about pronounce, trying to pronounce te reo. Um, in some approximation of of what it should be. What do you make that of, I am about English? Yeah. What do you make of that, Christine? And also <laughs> the notion that well, actually uh, it's like a, a, a language is living. Yes, I know. But I'd like to say first of all that it's not that bad because she does say pronunciation, not pronunciation, which a lot of people say. Well done, sir. They get the they get the spelling. <laughs> they get the spelling of that wrong too. Um, yes, it does change, um, and it has to. It has to change, but if it changes too quickly, then you're losing meaning. So you're not actually communicating well. Now, Christine, can I just say to you that we've had so much response to this. This has only got this. This is a part one. We have to do a part two with you in a fortnight. Can, can you do that for us? Well, possibly. It depends when a fortnight is. I'll 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 put it in my calendar. I'll be in touch with you, <laughs> Scott. Well, you're you're from you're from Tauranga, and I do know that's a bit of a bugbear for for many people because it's mispronounced so often. It, it, it is, and I think names for me names are really important okay. to get names right. Um, uh. I'm, I'm going to be very careful now because we've got somebody who's going to pick us up. <laughs> but and I was just looking across the across the screen at your moustache or moustache. Uh, oh, oh, stop being American! <laughs> <laughs> the one that well, really gets me is ax. So when people ask what? or ax, oh, ax. Yeah. that's a very much a an island a Pacifica sort of one. They do that, and while I mention Pacifica. I am so pleased to see that gradually some pe- people are starting to say that correctly. Because when you say Pacifica and don't even try, that is an insult to Pacifica people. And they they don't like to say no to people. And I have checked this with Samoan people, and you should have seen the broad smile I've had no, just I, talking with about the pronunciation of no, that. No, I can appreciate that, Christine. Actually, now, um, what else? Uh, can I just lay this to rest? Is flaccid actually pronounced flaccid? It is flaccid. Yes. Is it correct. tons or tons? You're so good. <laughs> what about tons versus tons? Ah, I think that is tons, and people say tons because when it first came in, the metric. Ton, um, people would say ton to differentiate it between 
the old T-O-N-S and the new T-O-N-N-E-S. But actually, it should be pronounced tons. Yeah, unbelievable. I can see how that, why people say that. This yeah. is just unbelievable. Thank you for your time, Christine. Uh, and we'll get you back on again. It's been wonderful. That's Talking Book producer Christine Newton there. So it is flaccid, not flaccid. Mind Newton. you. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry, Newton. Sorry, Christine. Gosh. Uh, the panel, RNZ National. Now, finally, another uh, news this week a Hawks Bay couple on their way to pick their son up from daycare stumbled upon an abandoned bag on the side of the road. What was inside? Just $70,000. You heard that right. Now, most of us uh, might have started planning a nice holiday somewhere tropical at this point, but this couple, what do they do? They handed it in. With us is Inspector Chris Wallace. Chris, nice to have you on. Uh, Good evening, team. How are you? How often do you get stories like this? Oh, look, um, very, very rarely on the scale of uh, this matter. Um, In fact, we've uh, done a little bit of research, uh, and I think the last significant uh, amount of money that was handed in may have been back in 1992, which is $10,000. So this is, uh, look, it was just a fantastic story, and uh, we absolutely applaud the honesty of the couple. Uh, They came straight to the police station, and uh, we were able to reunite uh, the... um, cash security firm with their uh, with their lost item. I guess the, what this speaks to, uh, Chris, was why we got on, is does it restore faith just a little bit in humanity? It's, it's the fact that integrity is out there and people have it. Oh, look, look, I agree, and it happens every day. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it's visible. You know, we, we often get um, items like jewellery, watches, camera, precious items handed in, and we work... Um, we work wherever we can to unite those with the owners. So mm. I think sometimes uh, maybe the more negative stories outweigh the public stories around the goodwill. That's an f- interesting point, isn't it, Sue? Um, can I ask whether the couple received any award or reward from the company? It seems that would have been quite uh, ethical and kind as well. Yeah, look, I'm pleased to report that uh, I have, uh, or we have linked uh, both uh, the bank and the uh, cash security company to uh, to the finders, um, and I know the cash security company have spoken to them today, and the banker in the process are doing that. So they're both uh, really appreciative of um, the couple's efforts. What are you saying, so 10%? <laughs> it's not on me, but no, um, they, no, they good, deserve it. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good point, Scott. What a cool story, right? And, yeah. and you know, I, I even think, God, last time I saw 10 bucks on the ground, I sort of wondered, do I put it in your pocket? Do you take it up to the reception? What, what was the, Inspector, what was the um, look on people's faces across the station when you, or oh, this was communicated to others? Were people sort of surprised or was it, how did they tell No, look, you're right, man. You're right on the money to coin a phrase, but we were really, the staff were really blown away. Um, they come and saw me. I was working at the time and we were able to go and chat to the couple, uh, but it's rare. And uh, yeah, we were just really impressed with um, how honest the people were and um, and they were keen to uh, obviously have the money reunited with um, with the cash company. But yeah, we were really impressed and really surprised um, because you don't see, or one, you don't. I don't think that sort of money is lost every day. Mm. But uh, uh, for the honesty of the people to bring it in, it was just fantastic, and our staff were blown away. Well, it's very nice to have you on the program, Chris, and uh, all, all the very best. And uh, just by the way, uh, how, before you go, how did that money come to be on the road? 
Look, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure those. Uh, I'm sure the company has processes that are followed. Um, I'd suggest that there's been a uh, been some human error in there somewhere, um, and uh, that question is probably best directed of at course. the cashier. Just, just asking for a friend, Inspector. What does one of those bags look like on the side of the road? <laughs> just, in case. just in case. Hey, Chris, nice to have you on the program, Inspector Chris Wallace. There, uh, you have both been wonderful. Sue Bradford, Scott Campbell, Curtis, both go well. Uh, if I don't see you in uh, 2023, a little bit of Celine Dion going out back 3.45 tomorrow. Checkpoint is next.